0: Heavenly Father, without you, there would be no reason to gather here tonight. Without your love, without your grace, there would be no peace, no goodness, no holiness on this earth. Broken souls would be just that just broken. But instead, we have a truth and a promise that no matter what we have done, no matter how we came into this place tonight, no matter what holds on to our soul, you tell us, come to you, believe in you, trust in you. And at the very moment that we do, we find peace. We are washed clean. And you train us up in holiness from now until we meet you on that golden shore. There are souls here tonight, Father, that need you to minister to them. There are burdens on all of us that we don't want to claim, we don't want to share. But you remind us, through your word, there will be troubling times. There will be things that we don't know how to handle. There will be darkness, tribulations, and challenges. And we may not see the light at the end. but you are the light. From this moment that you spoke, you said, let there be light, and there was. Father, we ask that there would be light in our souls tonight, that we would be able to look, look upward to you, and to see your face, to see the hope that we have in Christ. So we pray that every single soul here tonight, every member, non-member, believer, non-believer, all of us gathered here, that you would reveal yourself to us. You would help us to see you. Help us to see your glory. And help us, help us to know your truth. To hear your word, And believe it. To pray together as one ohana. And be moved. To read your word. And to know. It is true. These things did happen. Your promises are kept. And you are real. Work this into us father. Continue to minister to us. Allow us. This chance. This moment. To see you, to be moved by you, and to grow all the more in love with you. The God, the rock of our salvation, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who keeps every single promise he has ever made. And you promise us peace and life eternal for those who believe. Help us to believe, Father. Help us to lament. Help us to pray and help us to seek you out where you may be found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Lamentations uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. And though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones, and he has made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces, and he has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow, and he drove into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long, And he has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. And is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Father, as we observe this together as a family, and as we listen to it preached and taught, oh, please, let us learn. Let us observe. Let us pay careful attention to this man of affliction. Speak now, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Doesn't this crush your preconception of whatever you thought prayer was? Or at least it broadens it. It opens your eyes. Did you not realize we can come to God with such language? You know, and, and the, the crazy thing about all this is the Lord's not surprised. You know? Oh, I like that you guys are liking Lamentations. It's a very intimidating book. Um, we're just halfway through. We are in the middle. We are at the mountain peak of the book. We're going to stop halfway in this chapter. We're going to 20 verses, trudge and claw and climb our way to the top of the mountain. And right when we get to the peak for tonight, we're just going to st- stay there and survey the view. Okay? That's what my hope is for tonight. So that's why it's very short, two points. Two observations. The first point, great personal pain expressed. The second point, great faithfulness experienced. Let me pray one more time and ask the Lord to give us his grace. God, only you can accomplish these things that we're reading inside of us. We've all read and we can all relate. And I believe in Pray that by the power of your spirit, we're all already captivated by the text before us. What we ask right now is that you would give us experiential knowledge of this great turning point. To going from darkness to light, from anguish to assurance, from pain to the promise and peace of God. Do it, we pray in your name. Amen. Experience is a great, powerful thing. Experience. Experiential knowledge, right? Uh, that's why if you're learning a hobby, if you're, uh, I think Ilgar asked me before service if, he could, if I could teach him to surf. That's a great compliment to me because that means he views me as someone who is experienced in surfing, right? Um, if you're wanting to learn how to dance, you you don't ask someone that has no rhythm, right? When I was in high school, I played soccer competitively, and one of the four high schools I played for, I won't say the school, so I won't bash the school, but I found out that year, and I was a team captain, that our head coach had never played soccer in his life. First day at practice, boys, bring it in. I just want to let you know, I played a lot of basketball, but I've never played soccer. Already in my mind, I'm like, oh, we're in for a year, you know? And I ended up kind of being captain coach that year, you know? Like, and, and, but it's just one of those things, experience, right? Why do you think surf lessons or hobbies, the, the lessons for those trades or even work, jobs, why, why does it cost so much money to get a tutor? Because there's a, we place a lot of value on experience, real experience, right? If you're a recovering drug addict or if you're an alcoholic or if you've been through a lot of trauma or abuse, you you want someone or if you're, you, you know, marriage counseling or whatever counseling, don't you want someone across the table that's been there, done that, right? Like, if you don't know what it's it feels like our means to be like smashed and hammered and recover from that, then don't talk to me about those things. I mean, thank you very much, but you don't get it, right? Experiential knowledge is so valuable and so powerful. It's why I love spending time with older people. I love it. I love the project we started a year ago with Family Talk. I get to sit across the table with people who've gone through real life experience. And I get to hear from them how that went and greater, how they got through it. You know what I'm saying? We all really should appreciate and realize the great power of experiential knowledge and the value of people who've been there, done that. First-hand experience kind of people. Bruce brought up in Observation Time that all these poems right now, so far, the first striking observation that differentiates this poem from the others is that the poet was describing the pain and the anguish of the city, God's people, Judah, their sin, their rebellion, and the, the horrors that was happening on the people. And then he says in 2.17, you guys should pour out your hearts to God like water. And it's almost like by the time chapter 3 comes, he's like, all right, nobody wants to pour it out, I'm going to pour it out. This whole chapter is experiential, personal knowledge. Our guest speaker tonight is a man of great affliction. He's a been there, done that kind of guy. I love sitting with people who just have experience and experience of getting through the toughest and hardest things. Sitting with men and women and hearing how they got out of massive debt and how they kept their sanity. Sitting with people who've gone through great adversity and yet somehow you became the person you are. There should be young people. There should be this crave to want to spend time with people of experience. It's called discipleship. There ought to be a crave for it. And older people, we ought to never think that we've arrived as if we can't learn more. The Apostle Paul himself to his very dying day was a learner to the end He was all about experiencing more of God. Tonight, we have a great guest speaker. A person, a man who has walked through some horrific things. And yet, somehow, because you would think by this point, two chapters and two and a half chapters, you you get up to verse 20, you almost think, Why are we even reading this? Let's just stop already. Like, it's just too depressing. But guys, this is, if not for 21, 22, 23, 24, this is the moment. This is the turning point moment you're going to get to hear firsthand from a guy who should have lost his marbles. He should have given over to the pit of despair. He should have ended his life. He should have. He could have. Like, none of us would argue if he just went crazy and and just gave up, threw the towel in. So rock bottom that words don't, I mean, he's just expressing as best as he can. But this guy has a turning point. There's a lot to glean and learn from here tonight. So please, let's pay attention. And let's ask the question. Imagine you sitting across the poet, hearing so far his story, and just thinking, okay, okay, okay. And just thinking, how how did you get through this? What kept you centered? What what got you over this hump? Because right now there's stuff in my life that I don't see how I'm getting past this. And I pray that this timeless truth would hit home and help us be a people who are able to, in the hardest, most grievous, most trying of times, that we don't know what, what comes after this, guys, for the rest of our lives. But in all of those valleys, we will be a people that can always get to the mountaintop. So, Lord, show us how to do that. That's what we're going to see tonight. Let's listen to the testimony of this man of great sorrows. So, we read it already. So, I'm going to group it. Verse 1 to 20 is the first thing we're looking at. Verse 1 to 20. Let's look at verse number 1 first, though. He says, I see. Roah. To look, inspect, behold. It is a Hebrew word of personal first-hand experience. So this poet has been there. He's in there. He's filling it all with him. He's not just describing He's describing and also empathizing, sympathizing. I've seen what? The affliction. Chapters 1, 2. The poor, the humble, wretched, misery, state. I love the Hebrew semantics here because it describes this word picture of a focus on the experience of the state of the speaker. So it's not like he just saw it from afar or he got a picture of it. It's like he is really down there in it. Remember, experiential knowledge. I've seen the affliction under the wrath of God. And I think John Allison pointed that out in Observation Time, right? The rod, the shepherd's club. It's a tool that's used for fighting, but it's also a tool that symbolizes authority. He's seen This side of the Lord, it's really bad. It's really hard. The wrath, the anger, the fury, the rage. That's why the Hebrew writer is so right to say it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Guys, we are, regardless of whatever state we are in tonight, we have not seen the full wrath of God in our lives. But this man has seen something pretty bad. So it's important that we listen up to this man. So the first thing we see is there's a great personal pain expressed. Personal, possessive pronouns again. 19 times in 20 verses we hear I, me, my, I, me, my. The poet is crying out over all the people in chapters 1 and 2. But here's the thing to, to take note of. He needs to take time and create space for him to cry out for himself. Do you see that? He needs space and he needs a place to pour out his own heart for himself before the Lord. And the poet's going to do it and he's going to take 66 verses to do it. This is noteworthy. The shape of this poem, it's so noteworthy. Because I wonder in this place, do you have a space in a place For you to truly pour out your heart before the Lord? It is a huge thing that he always directs these verses to the Lord because that's who he's in front of. That's who he sees. But he's pouring it out. Lamentations 2 verse 19, he told them, pour out your heart like water. Chapter 3, he's going to be an example. Pour out your heart like water. I'll I'll take a chapter to show you how. And he just gives it. He rips it. He tells God everything that he's feeling, that he's seeing, that he's experiencing. Do you know that? Do we know that place in the presence of God? I wonder in this place how many hearts are bottled up with pain and bitterness and anger. Why bottle it up. Or maybe you've poured it out to him or to her or to this or to that or in traffic. You just pour it all out at the traffic. But in the presence of the Lord, that's the, that's the, that's the difference. Why do you think the Psalms are so long? Is the Lord in his Bible just with big pictures trying to show us something? So when he says, when he says in First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on me, I care. Come to me, all you, all you who are weary and laden. You have an awesome, we have an awesome God who wants to hear all your drama and trauma. If you're calling your friends and they're not answering the phone, good. There's a moment for you. Maybe you should go and go to the Lord first. He's really real. To the poet he is. To the poet, he's so real that he'll personally bring his pain and express it to God. And right now is a moment for you to pause and just ask yourself, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Or was the poet just crazy for 20 verses, writing to himself, writing to the thin air? Psalm chapter 62, verse 8, you could write it and I'll read it. It says, trust in him, speaking of the Lord, at all times. O people, then he says, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Trust in him. That's an imperative. Second imperative, pour out your heart before him. And then there's a description he's our refuge. Trust, refuge sandwiched in the middle of this verse pour out your heart we have trust issues we have insecurity issues could it be that much of the remedies for that could be pouring out your heart in the presence of the lord could it be that when the psalmist was saying to in order to truly trust to better trust to have a greater trust you need to spend time pouring You need to spend time sounding like the poet here. I'm tired. I don't want to. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm bitter. I'll use his words. I'm in darkness. My bones are broken. My chains are heavy. I call, I cry, but you shut out my prayer. It's like you don't hear me. It's like, whoa. Arrows in my kidneys, sated with wormwood. I've forgotten happiness. Endurance is perishing. The poet is giving us an example of what it looks like to pour out your heart before the Lord. Verse 1 to 6, it summarizes like this to me He's lost and blind. He says, Darkness, multiple times. I'm in the dark. You ever been in the dark? You ever try to walk around in the dark? You know what you look like when you walk around in the dark? Uh, right? Sometimes for us, for many of us, that's your life right now. That's what you feel. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. Every choice, every time someone asks you a question, you're just on high edge. Because I just don't know. Okay? How are you doing? How are you doing? You know, like, that might be how you are tonight. And here's the thing. It's Okay? You just got to express it to the Lord. It's okay to not be okay. Can you just hear that in the poet? We just don't stay there. From verse 7 to verse 9, he looks trapped. He's just walled up. I'm just trapped. I can't get out of this. You ever feel that? You feeling that tonight? Whether it's your sin or your circumstance trapped, and you know God's in control of your life, and so you express it to the Lord, I feel stuck, God. I thought I'd be out of this by now. I thought I've progressed by now, but I did it again. I'm here again. Oh my gosh, I'm running in circles. Does your prayer life sound this way? It's okay. It's pouring your heart out. Verse fourteen to sixteen, he's describing him being humiliated. I'm the laughing stock. My enemies taunt me. Seventeen to eighteen, he's he's depressed, he's in despair. I forgot what it looks like or feels like to be happy. I'm sorry. If that's where you're at tonight, I am. And in this place and in this space, you're welcome. You don't want to smile because you can't? That's okay. Come. 17 to 18, depressed and despair. 18 to 20, he's haunted by memories. He's having nightmares of all the horrors. 20 verses. And I want to point that out. He's pers- he's finally personally pouring his heart out. He didn't just start chapter. He didn't start the poem with, "The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases." You notice that. Twenty verses, clawing, climbing, this mountain. Twenty verses plus two chapters previous. Why do I draw that out? Because time it takes time there's a space for it lament is this weird in between he knows the theology of 321 22 23 when he's writing verse 1 of chapter 1 understand that it's not like oh and then all of a sudden he oh yeah this, he knows the covenants and the promises of Yahweh he knew that when he started the book but it took some space and time this is so important first for us personally because some of us want to rush through it and we tell people I'm fine oh, how are you doing cuz I know things is going hard I know things is hard but God is good right it's like why would you do that just be there it's okay it's okay to be broken it's okay let the time linger and, and here's another thing for us as we disciple each other and be discipled. If a brother or sister is really hurting, be patient. Be charitable. Let them vomit 20 verses, which might take two years. We're not in control of the timing of how long this lament will be. We don't know how long it took him to write this book. Can you imagine if he was stuck at verse 20, for a, and then he was just super silent, and then finally he's like, 21. But the steadfast. I don't know. We'll have to ask him when we get to heaven. But the, the thing that I hope us to see is as he's expressing great personal pain, it took time. When you're in a place of great pain and grief, it's biblical and it's critical That you express it. Express it. It's biblical. It's part of the process of grieving. I wonder, is there bottled up bitterness tonight in here? Is there bottled up pain in our church? Are we in denial? Are we suppressing things that's the true nature of our heart? and It's got to come out. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 4, it says this, there is a time to weep. That's right. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. But here's the point. There's a time. There's a time for it. Tonight might be the time that your soul has not weeped enough. or you have not mourned enough. You ever thought you were over something and then you didn't realize you weren't? It could be because it's been too suppressed and bottled up. You got to get raw in the presence of God. No amount of waves, no no, no matter how many times you go to the gym or how many Netflix shows you watch, Or whatever it is you think that you'll do to numb or drown or rid the pain. No amount of that is going to truly get to the core and bring it out. The way the presence of God does. You got to pour it out. Joel chapter 2 verse 12, he says, yet even now, now in the, in, the, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of the tragedy that's going on, Joel the prophet is saying, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Yet even now, it's not too late. Tonight's the night. Yet even now, return to the Lord. Pour your heart out and let it go. Don't censor it. Be honest. Be reverent, recognize you're going to, but be true. Oh, I love this about my prayer life. This is devotion for me. This is why I love my devotions. It's the space and place where I can really express it all to God. Do you have that? And if you you don't or if you're famished of it, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now is putting a fire in you you can't wait to get alone with your maker because there's a lot of baggage you gotta unload he's he's there he cares he's a great counselor but he's also a great carrier and comforter you know in Romans when it says the spirit intercedes for us even when we don't have the words we just got groans Oh, gosh, do you know that intimacy? To just be trembling before God, because there's all this pain that you can't even make sense of, but just like God be with me. I need you. I don't even know what to say. And you're just there, and the Spirit of God intercedes. He embraces you. The bear hug of the Holy Spirit shows up, carries you, and it's amazing, because then you get to verse 21. But it needed to start with a pouring out of your heart, So, if the poem ended at verse 20, this would just be a very difficult book, a very sad book. If it stopped right at 20, can you imagine that? Two chapters and then another chapter of personal just, but thanks be to God, it goes on, right? So we've been trudging for the last month, climbing, clawing, just looking, glimpsing at these horrific images of pain and sorrow. We've been relating. We've been hooked. We're being captivated because it's so real life. And then finally, here we are. We're almost at the mountaintop, guys. We're like just just pulling ourselves up to the peak. It took some time. This is why it's important to study Lamentations 3 in its context So the next time you put that verse up, the verses that we're about to read, the backdrop is probably not some pretty scenery or an epic barrel. Or it's probably dark and dangerous and fiery and just like, oh, then put that verse right there. Because that's how this verse really works. So here we go. You ready? We're there. Imagine the poet. Spirit of God interceding, just being with him, anointing him, and him personally, hard, hardships and trials. And then finally, coming to verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, but I love, however, yet, but in the Bible. I love it, love it, love it. This is what makes lament, biblical lament. This is the part that separates the people who just cry and the people who lament. Because the people who just cry and complain, they just cry and complain. But the, the Christians who can lament, we cry, we complain, we got hanabadas, we got blood, we got sweat. But, that's the difference. But this, I call, shub, that's the Hebrew word. Sounds cool, huh? Shub. It's a word that means I return, I bring it back. Just remember, it took 64 verses, if you're counting chapter 1 and 2, to get, to, the, to get here. But this, I bring it back to the mind. Now, in Hebrew, whenever they say mind, it says inner man. It's mind, heart, soul, the seat of your feelings, your thoughts, your affections. It's the middle. The word picture is the center. It's the middle man, the middle part of you, the uh right here. That's this Hebrew word. But this I bring back center to my center, and therefore I have hope. So the question I have is what did you call to mind? This is us sitting across the table, the poet, and he's telling us how he got through this. And he's like, But this I call to mine. And therefore, even though three verses ago I said my hope is perished, but now I have hope. You see where he just went? He just transcended right there. Just boom, something happened. Don't you want that? I want that when you're in the pit of despair. So what's the question? What what, what did you call to mind? What did the poet bring himself back to? What did he center himself on that caused him to have now hope? Hope you call to carry, to keep going. The steadfast love. Of the Lord. Beautiful. Beautiful. What does he meditate on? What does he recenter himself to to gain the ability and stability to keep going through this storm, through this valley? The first thing steadfast love of Yahweh. The steadfast, the said, I love this word. In the dictionary for Hebrews, the Hebrew dictionary, loyal love. He reflects on the loyalty of God. His loyal love. He's not an adulterer. He's not a cheater. He's loyal. He's faithful. The loyal love, the unfailing kindness. So he's pouring out his broken heart, and this is what he's calling to mind. But you never stop loving. Your love is so steadfast, unconditional, unshakable, immeasurable. A love that never ceases. There may be souls this evening who are very bruised and very crushed. Hear this. The Lord's love for you has not ceased. Oh, how he loves you. No doubt the poet would be reflecting on things like Deuteronomy chapter 7. In his Bible, the Lord, your God, has chosen you. You're his treasured possession. But verse 7, not because you're more than the number of other people. You know why he loves you? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. Because the Lord loves you. That's an awesome text that I guarantee a poet like this is probably looking back on. But this I call to mind. Deuteronomy 7. Lord loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And then he says, his mercy's never come to an end. His tender love, his compassion. Mercy is a, you get favor instead of judgment. See, the poet knows he deserves this. The poet knows that he's a sinner. In, in, in deserving, God would be totally just and fair to destroy and do what he's doing. He knows that. But this I call to mind. Your mercy, God. It's unending. I know we deserve judgment, but you don't treat us as our sins, sins deserve. Psalm 103. No doubt he'd be thinking about verses like that. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love. Oh, the mercies of God. And then he goes on. They're new every morning. It's a picture of like the new dawn. Just new day. Dusk. And the dew on the grass. Just I love the word. It's, it's, a, it's a fresh mercy. Just breathe that in. That's haha. Oh, Lord. Next time you're in the pit of despair, this I call to mind. You love me with an unending love. Your mercy, they're new every morning. And then he goes on great. Many, numerous, abundant, exceeding is your faithfulness, your fidelity, honesty, truthfulness, stability. The Lord's faithful and true. He's meditating on this. But this I call to mind. There's no trickery with you, God. You won't fail me. You keep your oath. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and in keeping the oath, know therefore the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant. Psalm 136, 26 verses of his steadfast love endures forever. See, we don't know in between as he's writing this, if he's reading verses like this, singing songs like this, the steadfast love. We don't know, but I bet he is for him to say, but this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Please pay attention here to the poet. I pray that this verse becomes the most meditated on text for us in life. In brokenness, trauma, tragedy, sorrow. In all those seasons, that's going to eventually hit you and I. We have to be a people that will be able to say, but this I call to mind. But remember, it may take some time to get there. And that's okay but eventually when you get there. Oh, as New Testament believers, we can call to mind so much more in the fullness of the person of Christ, can we not? The steadfast love, the mercy, the faithfulness of the Lord in the person of Christ, when we're struggling, this is what we call to mind. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time is not worth comparing. This will call to mind that in our weakness, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But this I call to mind, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword? No. But this I call to mind. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, powers, height, nor death, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will call this to mind. It's the gospel. That is what we can call to mind in our suffering. Oh, let us be a people, Lord, who make it there. When we're lonely, when we're weak, when we're doubting, call to mind. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is why, brother, sister, friend, if you're not a believer, trust in Christ. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Him. And then in Christ, you can call this to mind. He loves me because of Christ. His righteousness. Does that just wow you? That's what's going to take us through the darkest days of our lives. Not optimistic thinking. Not, it's some BI. Because, you know, nah, it's not. (laughs) I mean, it might get a little bit more better, but it's not all right. Something's wrong. But this I call to mind. If you just. Chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together in Christ by grace. That's what we call to mind when you've stumbled and fallen in your sin. If you're trenched in your guilt this evening, this you call to mind. He is rich in mercy and you're saved by grace. Through faith. Not anything that you've done. That's what you call to mind. This I call to mind. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13. Great is his faithfulness. Why is it so crucial, church, that we learn how to pour our hearts out, weep, mourn, and wail before the presence of God? Because... If we do not learn to pour out our hearts, then we will not know what it is to be filled with Christ. You need to empty yourself and be filled with Christ. And that is the regular flows of life on this pilgrimage. You got to let it out to breathe him in to experience the transcendent peace. That Paul talks about. Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. A.K.A. pour out your heart. And the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. That's Lamentations chapter 3. He poured it all out. Verse 21. But this I call to mine, and therefore I have hope. Supernatural stability. Did you love that song? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grieves to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. That's why I love the prayer meeting. I love the place of prayer. I know what it's like to come into a prayer meeting and feeling yucked, And I look around the circle, y'all feel yuck too. I can see. You're not happy to be here. Me neither in my soul. But I know it's going to go down. We're going to pour out our hearts. And somewhere in that precious hour, but this I call to mind, will come and happen. Maybe not for me right away, but another brother or sister right there is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, you ever been to the prayer meeting or have a time in the presence of God where you're just laying it all out. And at the very end, there's just this, in your name we pray, amen. And you look up and it's just like, everything's new. I'll quote John Allison. He's talking about his personal prayer life the other day. And he was telling us how just a wonderful time he had in the presence of God because he's been struggling there. Sorry. And, and then he said, he, he said this to himself, why don't I do this like every day? It's just so good. Quote, Pastor Bob, oh, prayer meeting is like taking a sweet shower. End quote. It's so true. It's so true. You come in with all your ugh. And in the presence of God, you pour it all out, and the Spirit of God shows up, breathes the promises. That's why we got to be in our Bibles. And there's this, this supernatural thing that happens in your soul, and you just find yourself on this mountaintop. Nothing changed. The circumstances didn't change in your life, just like in, in Lamentations. But this I call to mind, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. is your faithfulness. i got hope in me. And this is where we'll bring the study tonight to a pause because I want to stay on this mountaintop right now. Let's just stand here and just breathe and look out. Before we bring this to a close, just stand. Great faithfulness experience. You got that? Think of all the experiences of God's mercy and kindness and love and grace upon you, personally, you. That's the text tonight. I am the man of affliction. I have seen, I, me, my. But this I call to mind, let's have that right now before we close. Pause and think. Before we sing, pause and and call to mind all the moments in your life. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. There's moments in your life you knew you did wrong. You knew you were in error. And God could have and should have crushed you. He could have let the circumstance be much worse than it is. And he would be fair and just to do it. But he did not. Can you let your heart and your mind be filled and flooded right now with the faithfulness, the great faithfulness of God to you? Just bring it all to mind. This is the turning point. It's so crucial. And that's why he goes on to say, the Lord is my portion. He's mine. This Lord, this Yahweh, mine. He's my reward. That's what the Hebrew word means. He's my reward. And I will hope in Him. I can keep on going, I will keep on waiting. This is a personal experience of the poet now. So, as we close, make it personal for yourself. Can you recall? In closing, I just want to reflect on a couple of things. T- turn in your Bibles. We don't turn. We didn't turn much tonight. Go to the book of Luke, and we'll start at chapter five. Just some application. Here's what I challenge, or encourage, or suggest. The first thing is don't compromise your personal devotion. Change your perception of what you think devotions are if it's not like this. Add lamentations to to your devotional life, okay? A a place and a space for you to pour out your heart. Think about that. Do you have a space and a place for you to pour out your heart before God? Do you? Literally. Literally. Place, find it, think of it. Space, time, when. Don't compromise that. It's so crucial. It's so critical. You all make it through this life, pilgrim? You all keep steadfast faith in the Lord? We need to apply the Bible. The poet had to write this somewhere. He had to express this sometime Do you have a space and a place? Another thing I want to encourage us is if we're walking alongside people who are in suffering or recovering from sin or the consequences of sin, let's be patient with each other. Let's be charitable. Let them linger in that space as long as they need. But here's what I encourage you. Pray, 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 pray. Be ready to run to them when they have that turning point moment. So I ask you to turn open to Luke. We're going to do a couple flippings. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now, if you just read around in chapter 5, Jesus is doing a lot of ministry. Oh, sorry, verse 16. Um, A lot of ministry, a lot of crowds gathering to hear him. And that's verse 15. It says, Even more report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him to heal of their infirmities. Verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Our Lord Jesus was in the regular rhythm of drawing to a desolate place, a space and a place to pour out his heart in prayer. The Lord Jesus walked like this. Why would we think, yeah, I don't need that. All that pour-out-your-heart stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once a week is enough for me. Sunday prayer of confession for those two minutes. Often withdraw. Flip over a couple chapters. Go to chapter 11. I'm trying to show you some stuff for practical application. You need a space and a place to pour out your heart and preach the gospel to your soul. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying where? Where? In a certain place. That's all I want you to see. We're just trying to look at the great model for us. He would withdraw often to desolate places. He had hot spots. Places that he would go. Certain places. And it's kind of crazy the disciples say later in the verse, hey, teach us what to do that. Jeez, Lord, teach us to pray. Where are you going? What are you doing? Prayed in a certain place. Now go over a couple more chapters, last one and we'll close. But this is the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to bring us to this parable because this son went into distant country. He ran from the father. He's living rebellious. But he had a turning point moment. And the father waited and waited and waited. Let's pick it up. At verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods and the pigs, and no one gave him anything. So he's hitting rock bottom. He's living on his own in sin, doing what he wants. Verse 17, the blessed but. I love this word. But when he came to himself, or sometimes he said, when he came to his senses, or like this I call to mind. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough? Bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is what he's realizing. It's better with the father, and I don't deserve to be with the father of all that I've done. But what does he say? I'm going. I'm coming. Something happened. There's a turning point moment. Verse 20. He rose, came to his father. I love this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Tonight, If you're having a turning point moment, you realize you've been off, or you've been drifting, or you're in sin, or whatever, but this you call to mind, and there's something in happening, and in your heart, in your inner hearts, I want God, I want Jesus, I want what you're talking about, I want Him. Know this. And in that moment of turning point, another word for that is repentance. The Father's running after you, heart. Come home. And brothers, sisters, we've got to be a church and a people that will walk alongside suffering people. And will pray and wait and be patient. And the second we see that turning point moment, we embody the Father's heart and we run. And we embrace them. We need to learn to lament with one another in such a way as we are being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. This is the difficult, dirty parts of discipleship. It's messy. It's hard. Oh, but it's beautiful. There's nothing more joyful for me as in my Christian journey. Two things. Me personally witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit have my own turning point moments. Like, I love that. I, I, I have many, you know, age 12, when I started to realize my, my sin and be broken over it. And, and I wanted Jesus. Age 15, when I started to burn with affection for the Bible and I wanted to know more about Jesus. At age 19, when I had a passion to tell other people, anybody about Jesus, anything that's breathing, I'll tell you about Jesus. These were all turning point moments in my life. But it took a lot of space and place to just... Get it all out and the spirit came. And but here's another thing that I love about the Christian journey. is not only when I see it for myself, but when I see others, when I see you have a moment in your life when this you call to mind. Regardless of whatever it is you're going through, you call it to mind. The, God, the, word, the work of God is at work in you. The spirit's at work in you. And you anchor your soul in the promises and the love of God. Oh, that for me is just such a joy. Would we be brothers and sisters who root each other on in this way? Be patient and kind with one another in this way? Because, guys, this is, this is at the heart of what Paul is talking about when he says carry each other's burdens in Galatians 6. James chapter 5, pray for one another. Care, confess your sins and pray. So in, in practice, personally, do you have a space and place Will you pour out your heart in the presence of God? And then with one another, do you have the patience to walk alongside with each other when we're still in that limbo, lingering season of despair? And will we pray for one another to have that turning point moment? But this I call to mind. Think on these things. Stay on this mountaintop just for a little bit. Next week, we'll finish the chapter and then in a couple weeks, finish the book. But you're at the mountaintop right now. We're going to close. The, the, the praise team can get ready for the song. But to take us into the closing song of response, just call to mind the steadfast love of the Lord, his mercies, his faithfulness to you. To you. If you're having a hard time finding, tonight is a moment. He could have destroyed you and I. And here we are breathing. I'll close this in prayer, but I want to leave space for you to call this to mind. Let's pray. Father, bring us back center. Stabilize us tonight. Help us to look to you, acknowledge where we're at, but really meditate on who you are and what you've done and what you're still doing. Great is your faithfulness. Even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. So, as we sing, let us really praise you, exalt in you, pour out our hearts and be filled with Christ. Do this now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: hides his face, you can know that he is full of love and there with you. He is our rock. Go in the peace with our Lord.